This is SR1. All right, everybody, here we go. Today is Sunday, July 23rd, 2023. My name is Rob Carter. Thanks for joining us here at SR1 and News Talk STL, the home of free speech right here in St. Louis. We should call this station the Show Me Station, the one outlet in three years that has not suppressed the information that I am sharing. And I love it. And I'm very thankful for the opportunity because I have 71 podcasts. This will be the 38th radio show. And I've done my best to give as much information as I can to guide people to do their own homework, to not rely upon the corporate press and the corrupt government in D.C. to shape their opinion, to shape their lives, to take their freedoms away slowly but surely under the guise of national security under the guise of protecting us. I don't believe any of these people anymore. None of them. And I think that's the best way to go about it is to challenge power, whether it be in the media, whether it be in entertainment, whether it be in D.C. or even your state and local representatives. You got to go at them in a kind and decent way, but you got to say, what about this? I need to ask you some questions. And I've been talking about that in length for a long time. So the way the whole show started... In June of 2020, was I had a conversation with my son, and he suggested after that conversation to start a podcast. I was telling him that everybody would be wearing masks and that eventually they would mandate vaccines. And I don't think he believed me at the time, but he was uh, curious about it. And he said, Dad, you should start a podcast. And I said, well, I don't know how to start a podcast, which is interesting because I went to school for journalism and broadcasting. In my mind as a young person, I wanted to be like Jack Buck, Harry Carey, uh, Bob Costas, the late, great Dan Kelly from the St. Louis Blues. I loved listening to the radio and especially sports on the radio when I was a young person. And my father would always listen to talk radio when we were in the car. I'd want to hear music and he wanted to listen to talk radio. So it kind of just got into my blood as a young person, uh, studied it through school and thought that's where my career would go. But as luck would have it, My life changed. I had children at a young age, and I am a capitalist. I had opportunities to make money elsewhere, and I decided to chase that path to support my family. But a few years ago, I started recognizing that the country was out of control. My son suggests a podcast. He flew down from St. Louis to Florida, set up my office, and set me up so that I could do the podcast. And we did a few together at the very beginning. And we look up and all of a sudden we got thousands of people listening to a show that we sent to 55 people, just 55 friends and family. And it started to grow and people started to contact me and it started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then by the third or fourth episode that I was trying just to spread out, I really had no intent to uh, make a career out of this at all. But what started to happen is I got shut down and that infuriated me. When I realized that my First Amendment rights were being trampled upon, uh, something sparked inside of me, and I said, I'm not going to have it. This is not the way it's going to go down so long as I have anything to say about it. So I reached out to a radio station, this one right here in St. Louis, and my fantastic producer, Phil Valencia, and I said, listen, I've got a story to tell. You may not have heard it. I'm going to send you a few of my podcasts. Let me know 
if I can get on the air. And here we are, 38 shows in. And it's been fantastic, been quite a ride. But I've always wanted to show people the evolution. I wanted people to see all of my scars, where I got things wrong, how I was being misled, because it can happen to any of us. When the entire establishment, when all of the propaganda that is out there in the world right now starts to fill your brain, you can't figure out what's true and what's not. And that's all part of the design. I've been saying for a long time, the, the, I think the way it works is that propaganda done properly can keep you and I fighting. It keeps us at each other's throat while a system of compliance through technology is being put into place. And at one time, I was the biggest Donald Trump fan. You know, when I give Kevin Slayton or local celebrities trouble about their love affair with Donald Trump, I was the biggest. So I'd be a hypocrite to be angry with these people. I understand exactly where they're coming from. And ultimately, they may be right. Who knows? Like I said, you can always be tricked. But what disturbs me the most is the people that have the most power in this country do not get asked tough questions. What kind of world are we living in when we're talking about nuclear Armageddon, but the people that are making the decisions for us cannot be asked tough questions? It makes no sense to me. So I want to walk you through a timeline here. Here are the topics that I have talked about at length, giving you clips and information, read script, tied things together, and really tried to paint a picture of the situation that we're in. It started with John F. Kennedy. I'm going to play the clip to the press club that I played multiple times if you're a longtime listener, but I'm going to play the entire thing. Just let it roll out and let everybody hear it. Then I want to talk about MK Ultra. Because when people used to talk about MK Ultra, I couldn't wrap my brain around it. It took a long time for me to understand just how it works. MK Ultra is real. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has been talking about it lately because his father and his uncle were assassinated and the assassins were touched by a guy by, by the name of Jolly West who was running experiments with Sid Gottlieb in the CIA with mind control. Isn't that interesting? Then we talked about the Bush family in episode two. We talked about the CIA and how the whole CIA scheme appears to be set up. We talked about the cocaine running in Arkansas when Bill Clinton was the governor. We talked about Dr. Fauci from the very beginning. I called him Darth Fauci in the summer of 2020. And I had people saying, you don't like Dr. Fauci? America's grandpa? You don't like him? And I said, no, he's a criminal. He's a creep. He should be hung from the highest tree. After a trial, of course, because I don't, you know, as, as long as I'm free to say it, I think he's a criminal and I think he should be held accountable. I think if you are over in China doing research that could spread viruses all over the world and make people sick, I think you should be held accountable. Am I crazy? Because how does this guy walk around like a celebrity when you know that this entire operation around COVID was designed by Dr. Darth Fauci? Then we talked about the fraudulent elections. Now, this goes back years and years and years. Both sides of the aisle have talked about fraudulent elections, but apparently now it's no big deal. I just watched an interview with Tucker Carlson, whose father was in the CIA, and Mike Pence about January 6th and fraudulent elections. And he couldn't answer the question as to why we have electronic voting machines still in this country. 
with everything that's going on, where are the leaders? Where's Donald Trump saying we should not have electronic voting machines? Pounding his fist, saying it's the most important thing in the world. We cannot have elections that we cannot verify. We cannot have elections that the people do not have confidence in. And the only way to get back to business and doing it the right way is paper ballots, ID, so that we know the elections are real and fair. We're going to talk about mandated vaccines and uh, I'll show you what I was saying about it way back when, before anybody was even thinking about it. And then we moved on to child trafficking, child sexual torture, Project Monarch, and Satanism. So we went through all of these key stories and followed these uh, narratives that nobody else in the media really talks about. They may touch it. Sound of Freedom movie is out there. But nobody is explaining the entire picture, all of it. How does the whole thing work? And I'm going to do my best today to walk you through that timeline and let you make up your mind as to what is real and what is fake news. This was episode number one. I played this speech to the press club, and it's cut just a little bit, but everything is in context. This is John F. Kennedy, speech to the press club. Check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, the very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. The club. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, there is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it. And there is very grave danger that an announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning to the very limits of official censorship and concealment. COVID-19. That I do not intend to permit to the extent that it's in my control. And no official of my administration, whether his rank is high or low, civilian or military, should interpret my words here tonight as an excuse to censor the news, to stifle dissent, to cover up our mistakes, or to withhold from the press and the public the facts they deserve to know. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. No president should fear public scrutiny of his program, for from that scrutiny comes understanding, and from that understanding comes support 
or opposition, and both are necessary. I am not asking your newspapers to support an administration, but I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people. For I have complete confidence... and the response and dedication of our citizens whenever they are fully informed. I not only could not stifle controversy among your readers, I welcome it. This administration intends to be candid about its errors. For as a wise man once said, an error doesn't become a mistake until you refuse to correct it. We intend to accept full responsibility for our errors, and we expect you to point them out when we miss them. Without debate, Without criticism, no administration and no country can succeed, and no republic can survive. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Solon decreed it a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy. And that is why our press was protected by the First Amendment, the only business in America specifically protected by the Constitution, not primarily to amuse and entertain, not to emphasize the trivial and the sentimental, not to simply give the public what it wants, but to inform, to arouse, to reflect, to state our dangers and our opportunities, to indicate our crises and our choices, to lead, mold, educate, and sometimes even anger public opinion. This means greater coverage and analysis of international news, for it is no longer far away and foreign, but close at hand and local. It means greater attention to improved understanding of the news, as well as improved transmission. And it means, finally, that government at all levels must meet its obligation to provide you with the fullest possible information outside the narrowest limits of national security. And so it is to the printing press to the recorder of man's deeds, the keeper of his conscience, the courier of his news, that we look for strength and assistance, confident that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent. I love that so much. I have listened to that speech, and there's a longer version. That's kind of cut up to get the uh, key perspective out. But what he's trying to say is, hey, press, Hey, people uh, recording what's going on in the country. May we tell the American people what is really happening here? Can we explain to them that there's a global conspiracy going on right now? And this is in 1961. He has this conversation. He says, without debate, we cannot survive. This is the question that I have with everybody. Can we have a conversation? Can we get through all the shtick that is on the radio and through these podcasters and television personalities and really have a conversation with one another start this whole thing over and let's get back to being uh, let's get back to being thoughtful let's be let's get back to being uh, thinking people who can rationalize what's going on in their lives and understand what is happening debate is how you determine what's real and what is fake if you want to get to the podcast, it is therobshowpodcast.com, therobshowpodcast.com. We'll finish with the conversation about John F. Kennedy and then lead into the Bush family. So stick around. We'll be right back. The Rob Carter Show. 
Rob Carter Show. All right, everybody, welcome back. We finished segment number one talking about John F. Kennedy and his speech to the press club in 1961. A speech where he outlined a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy against America. And you would think a former president of the United States who was gunned down in broad daylight on the streets of Dallas, Texas, if he gives a speech talking about a conspiracy against America, you would think our children would know all about it. That future generations would know all about it, but they don't. Very few people have any knowledge of that speech and how he outlines the troubles on the horizon. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why do we know nothing about that? That leads me into the next two topics that I've talked about on my podcast many times and on the radio show at times. The CIA and MKUltra. And it never gets discussed thoroughly on network news, and I wonder why that is. I wonder if you could tell me why that is out there. When you have a mind control operation that originated in Nazi Germany, we know it's real. There were church hearings in the 70s to talk about it. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is talking about it now. If the CIA has a mind control operation going on, and all of the documents that outlined it have been destroyed, do we think the information just went away? Do we think just MK Ultra just disappeared? That the idea that you could program the subliminal mind just went away when the CIA destroyed the documents? Of course not. It's ridiculous. So we have to dig into it just a little bit, and we'll get to it, but I want to start with George Bush, the original Bush. Because in episode number two, now this is before the election, this is in June of 2020. I tried to give as much information as I could find about the Bush family because Prescott Bush, a senator and a director of a bank in Connecticut, was funding the Nazi party. And then his son, George Bush, George H., G.H. Bush, Daddy Bush, then runs the CIA He becomes the vice president of the United States under Ronald Reagan. Then he becomes the president. And then his son, Dummy Bush, becomes president in a contested election where there were hanging chads down in Florida when his brother, Jeb Bush, was governor. And then Jeb Bush runs, low energy Jeb runs. And you look at these families and you go, man, these families go way back. And isn't it interesting that the Bush family was in the CIA and that Tucker Carlson's father was in the CIA while Bush was in the executive branch. Not making any connections that they are attached, but I do find it interesting, and I do find it odd that nobody seems to ask Tucker Carlson about it, because I think Tucker Carlson's starting to do a pretty decent job of of asking questions. But he's going after low-hanging fruit. He did a great job of getting after Mike Pence recently. I might play some of that uh, interview uh, before the end of the show, or definitely within the next few shows. But he talks about elections and says, why do we still have electronic voting machines? And Mike Pence goes, oh, you know, we, the states have to run their own. Ele- we know the states have to run our, their elections, Mike. 
The problem is that you guys up there in D.C. aren't making it a big issue. And why aren't you making it a big issue? Because Tucker Carlson actually laughs about it. He goes, uh, I wonder why you guys don't want to stop the use of electronic voting machines. Almost backhanded, uh, a, a, a backhand to Mike Pence saying, we get it. We're not going to call you to the mat right here, but we get why you guys don't want to get rid of electronic voting machines. Because the reality of it is, if Donald Trump and Joe Biden and Mike Pence and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Barack Obama and George Bush and all these people within our government were saying, hey, listen, the population does not have confidence in our elections. Therefore, we have got to get rid of these electronic voting machines because we now know that anything that is electric can be hacked. These things, can they can happen. Are they happening? I believe they are, but they can happen. I'm going to read to you in this segment a tweet that my producer Phil sent to me that was the last tweet that Sidney Powell had on Twitter. Now, you might remember Sidney Powell because she was involved in the election interference cases that were going on post-January uh, or post-whatever uh, the date was, November of 2020 after Donald Trump supposedly lost the election. She was front and center. Remember? Release the Kraken, Sidney Powell. So I want to read to you what she wrote because I covered it on my show. But that tweet is, it's long. I'm going to get through some pieces of it. But these voting systems, Dominion, ESS, Sequoia, Smartmatic software, these election systems, it appears that they are all over the world and that they can be manipulated. And if that's true, it only makes sense to anybody thinking clearly as to why the people in power don't change it. If phony election systems are in play, and you're the benefit of an easily manipulated system, why would you want to change it? There's nothing wrong if you're winning. That's the way it seems to be in this country right now and in several countries around the world, maybe all of them for all I know. But we must get rid of electronic voting machines. I mean, good Lord. And we must have voter ID. If we have millions and millions and millions of people crossing our border illegally, don't we need a verifiable election system where your ID is the way you get to vote? A verifiable election system is a must. We can't do anything until we get that resolved. And yet we're talking about cocaine in the White House. And again, no matter what the narrative is, if Hunter Biden and Joe Biden have, like I said, prostitutes in the White House and a big transsexual party that is live on television, we're not talking about it today because it is a distraction. We are going through a timeline of events from basically the beginning of my podcast in June of 2020 and up to today and all of the topics that we have talked about in depth, I want you to get a feel for them. I want you to understand some of this information so that you look at politics and you look at the information that you digest with a much clearer and sober eye. Let me get to this first clip. Again, this clip that I'm playing was from episode number 14 of my podcast, but I covered it in detail. In the second episode, this is Judge Joe Brown talking about the Bush family being attached to the Obama family for decades. Did you know that? Did you have any idea that the Barack Obama family, Barry Satoro, and the Bush family go back? Did you know that? 
And did you ever wonder why when they were at George Bush, Daddy Bush's funeral, that George Bush, G.W. Bush, and Michelle Obama were passing candy around? He says that that is an old joke between the two families. This is what Judge Joe Brown says. Remember Judge Joe Brown, TV personality? Here is that clip from November 23rd, 2020. This is my show, the 14th episode. From November 23rd, 2020, this is Judge Joe Brown and me. Check this out. Is, is the Bush family just a CIA family and the Obamas? Are the Clintons a part of this thing? The McCains, the Romneys, is this, are these just old families that derive from the CIA? Because all these families go way, way back. Way back. And I want you to listen to Judge Joe Brown kind of tie this together, and then I'll move along with the story. Judge Joe Brown, ready? Go. See, you've got somebody that is not a lifetime Republican. He's been a blue dog Democrat for Talking most of his life. He usurped the Republican Party. So I think this thing I've been tweeting about, no benefit, no vote, ought to be the deal. We haven't gotten a damn thing out of the Democratic Party for a long time. And the last one, number 44 and the one before that, 43, Bush and Obama, well, there are pictures of Bush with his arm around uh, eight-year-old Barack Obama because his stepdaddy, adopted daddy, Lolo Sotoro, had done a lifetime worth of business with the Bushes. Uh, wow. Uncle George Herbert Walker, after whom George Herbert Walker Bush, Bush one president, was named, founded Halliburton in 1946 in Oklahoma. And Lolo Sotoro had been international executive vice president for Standard Oil. There was talk of him being a CIA asset. Well, yeah. Indonesia. See, he ran the death squads for the Indonesian Army. On mm -hmm. his own call, anyone could be assassinated. So when George Herbert Walker Bush became head of the CIA under the Ford administration, he just got with his old buddy in the oil business, Lolo Sotoro, and pulled off the hits. See... Uh, Barack's grandmother has been acknowledged as being the woman that operated the channels through which CIA money went to the Southwest Pacific. So she introduced her daughter, who had just had Barry, Barack, to Lolo Sotoro, and they got married, and Lolo Sotoro adopted Barack Obama. The name was changed to Barry Sotoro. Mm -hmm. Now, when he went to high school in Hawaii, I know about that high school. I almost sent my oldest son to it. I could afford it, but I didn't think he observed, deserved it. 20 years ago, the tuition was $95,000 a year, not including room and board. When Obama went there, I've talked to two of his classmates. They independently state that the tuition, not including room and board, was 45000 now, Business Insider reports his income for 2017 at over $200 million net. That's after taxes, deductions, write-offs. Mm -hmm. For this last year, 2018, they reported it as $570-plus million. And that's after all deductions, tax write Trump doesn't make that net. I mean... 
even some of the richest people in America don't make that. Why? Because when his stepdaddy died, he was one of the 10, 15 richest men on earth. And he left everything in a trust fund operated out of Indonesia so the American government can't touch it that makes Barack Obama one-third beneficiary for the assets of one of the 10, 15 richest men on earth. So did you know that? Uh, even if it's not true, when somebody like Judge Joe Brown goes out and starts talking about these things, don't you think that the network press would pick it up and go, wow, that's very interesting. We should talk about that. We should have Judge Joe Brown. He's a TV personality that a lot of people know. Let's talk this out with him because that's a very interesting conversation to have, but they don't. And why don't they? That's what you have to ask yourself. Where are the tough questions for the people in power? And he talks about the Bush family and the Obama family being tight. So I want to go back into, because we're going to get to MK Ultra in a minute, and the assassinations of John F. Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy uh, back in the 60s, and Martin Luther King and uh, Malcolm X. Uh, there was a Dorothy Kilgallen, um, Marilyn Monroe. The 60s transformed America, but we were all partying and moving forward, and we just must have forgot about it. Then we had the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan, right after he became president, only a couple minute, uh, a couple months after he took office. But Roger Stone, who was tied to Donald Trump, you might remember Roger Stone, he says that George Bush, he wrote a book about it, that George Bush was in Dallas the day that John F. Kennedy was killed, implying that he was a part of the CIA all the way back into those days. Now, remember, he married into the Walker family, a very powerful family. This is the uh, George Bush marries into the Walker family, a very, very powerful family. So if he was in the CIA back in the 60s and in Dallas, Texas, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, I think we should ask some questions. I don't think that just goes without uh, any further conversation. doesn't make any sense to me. And he also mentions in that uh, clip Cheney and, or Halliburton. Now, Halliburton was, of course, run by Dick Cheney or Dick Cheney was involved with it. Halliburton is the one that was the military, that was the military contractor that was providing arms and ammunition and weapons during the Iraq war that was done on a lie by W. Bush. That whole story was a lie, as it turns out. There were no weapons of mass destruction. And then Liz Cheney, right? So you just I'm talking about these families and how they're connected. Then Liz Cheney is on the January 6th commission as a hardcore conservative talking about what Donald Trump did and all of these people that were led to the Capitol building leading an unarmed insurrection. And perpetuating this lie that this uh, there was some organized overthrow of the government that was done with no arms, no weapons, no guns. I mean, it's just bizarre. It's crazy. But there's a lot of information to unpack if you look back through the history of not just my show, but the history of this country that nobody is ever inclined to talk about it. So I like to bring it to your attention. Make what you want of it. But again, being aware of these things, having these conversation, asking the questions of the Bush family, asking the questions of Barack Obama, because I have a feeling that Michelle Obama is going to run for president somewhere along the line here. It's certainly being rumored that she will. So these are questions that I think we need to ask. I think it's high time that we quit playing childish games, uh, quit getting distracted by these narratives in the media because they are just childish, unworthy of your time. We are going to get into the rest of this story and MK Ultra in segment number three. So stick around. We'll be right back.
When I was quite young, I had learned to feel the Rob Carter Show. Talk to listen, but not to hear. From my mother's arms, I was cruelly torn, and they whipped my ass on the day I was born. Little brother, SR1 Sundays. SR1 Sundays. A man who leads a life of danger To everyone he meets, he stays a stranger Alright everybody, here we go with segment number three Just a quick recap In segment one, we talked about John F. Kennedy and his assassination Along with his speech to the press club Where he outlined a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy against America In segment number two, we talked about the Bush family and their ties to the Obama family or the Satoro family, however you want to look at it, and their involvement with the CIA. Now I want to get into MKUltra. Now, if you're going to look up the podcast on my MKUltra episode, it is episode number 50, May 5th, 2022. And in that episode, I talked about the story of Charles Manson. Now, Charles Manson, if you don't remember, hippie cult leader, brainwashed a group of young kids to go out and commit seven brutal murders that changed the direction of the country. And I'm just going to play a clip from episode 50 here in just a minute, but I want to set it up. The reason the MK Ultra story and Charles Manson come together with the CIA is laid out by an author by the name of Tom O'Neill, who wrote a book about Charles Manson, the CIA in the 60s, called Chaos. And what he says went down, he was doing a 30-year piece on the uh, Tate-LaBianca murders committed by the Manson family in 1969. So around 1999, he's doing a piece for whatever magazine he's working for. He starts researching it, realizing something strange is going on, and it begins a 20-year journey of him uh, digging up information, documentation, that links Charles Manson to the MKUltra experiments. Because Charles Manson was in prison the vast majority of his life, and MKUltra experiments were going on in the very same prisons. It's a terrific episode. I'm not nearly as concise in that uh, format because I don't have any breaks, and I just ramble on. But nonetheless, we'll play a clip of it here in just a minute. What's interesting about this MK Ultra situation in the CIA is the same guy that Tom O'Neill is able to link to Charles Manson, a guy by the name of Jolly West, was also a court-appointed psychiatrist, psychologist. I don't know which one he was. He was involved in the Jack Ruby situation and the Sirhan Sirhan situation. So Jack Ruby, who assassinates or kills Lee Harvey Oswald after Lee Harvey Oswald apparently assassinated John F. Kennedy. It appears to be much more complicated than that, but at the time, that's what everybody believed, and that's what everybody was sold. Jolly West goes to meet with Jack Ruby after he kills uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, and then when he is uh, being questioned, he says he has no recollection of killing Lee Harvey Oswald. That was after he met with this MK Ultra doctor, a guy by the name of Jolly West. 
Same thing with Sirhan Sirhan. Sirhan Sirhan was, he's the named assassin of Robert F. Kennedy in Los Angeles. But he has no recollection of it either. If you watch Sirhan Sirhan before the parole board, he says, I don't remember doing it. I have no recollection of it whatsoever. Now, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's running for president right now, says that he has absolute proof that Sirhan Sirhan did not kill his father. Didn't happen. He said because the shots came from a different angle than where Sirhan Sirhan was. So, for example, if Sirhan Sirhan was in front of him, all the shots came from behind. It was a setup. He believes Sirhan Sirhan may have had something to do with it, may have been involved with it, but he wasn't the trigger man. And again, Jolly West was involved with Sirhan Sirhan as well. So Jolly West, MK Ultra experimenter, tied to the CIA through Sid Gottlieb, which nobody knew until this writer, author, Tom O'Neill, uncovered it almost 50 years after the event, after the killings, the murders of Rosemary and Lino LaBianca and the tape murders that occurred in Los Angeles. A fascinating story about MK Ultra, but I want to play, this will be a long segment here, or a long piece. This is episode 50 of The Rob Show on the therobshowpodcast.com, episode 50, May 5th, 2022. This is the way I described it. We have a weird homicide. In a scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religious rite, five persons, including actress Sharon Tate, were found dead at the home of Miss Tate and her husband, screen director Roman Polyansky. Miss Tate, who starred in Valley of the Dolls, was eight months pregnant and was found in a bikini-type nightgown with a rope around her neck attached to the body of a man. Two bodies inside, two bodies outside. Among the other victims were Hollywood hairstylist Jay Sebring and coffee heiress Abigail Folger. Authorities would allow no one in an unofficial capacity inside the posh $200,000 home in the hills overlooking Los Angeles. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines cut. The bodies had been dead about 12 hours. They were discovered this morning by a maid who ran screaming to neighbors. One officer summed up the murders when he said, In all my years, I have never seen anything like this before. While the police admitted they had no suspects in the Bel Air massacre, there were two more murders 15 miles away in the Silver Lake section of Los Angeles. Market owner Leo LaBianca and his wife Rosemary were found by their children stabbed and mutilated. The word war was carved into LaBianca's chest, and death to pigs was smeared in the blood of one of the victims. The word pig had been scrawled in blood on the door of the Bel Air mansion where actress Sharon Tate and four others were slain. But police said, despite the similarities, they do not believe the crimes are linked. So let me give you both sides of this situation here. So Helter Skelter was the book written by Vincent Bugliosi in 1976. I believe the movie was released. They didn't used to do this back in the day, but in 1976, they had a two-part Helter Skelter movie that they put out based on the book written by the prosecutor, Vincent Bugliosi. And it was called Helter Skelter, the song by the Beatles. And we'll get into all that, but just real quickly, the premise of the case against Manson was that he was a hippie cult leader who used drugs to hypnotize and brainwash young people. And through that hypnosis, he got them to go out and slaughter seven people, including uh, actress Sharon Tate, because he wanted to start a race war in his uh, belief system and what he taught to these uh, kids 
is that there was going to be an impending race war because you got to remember this is the 60s when the uh, civil rights movement is going on and there's a lot of back and forth between uh, races, uh, between the races. He says that the there's going to be a race war and that it is the black man's time and the, the black man is going to win the war. And because they will not be able to govern themselves, he and his group of hippie cults, uh, this hippie cult family is going to rise from the desert where they had their little commune and take over the world. This was the story of Helter Skelter. And um, I did two papers on Helter Skelter, one in high school, one in college. So I know a lot about it. When I studied it, even back then, it never made any sense to me. The story just seemed so bizarre. I'm like, who is buying that? But they must have been on some heavy drugs. And maybe they were. But as this other guy who wrote the book, so that's Helter Skelter, and that's the story of Helter Skelter. The other guy's name is Tom O'Neill. Tom O'Neill really does some research on it, goes on a 20-year investigative uh, journey to get to the bottom of it. And I won't get into the motives of what Charles Manson was doing. This story is about mind control. So here's the story of Charles Manson and his background. Charles Manson, by the age of 32, had spent 16 years in prison. He was in and out of every uh, federal reform system, uh, federal reform schools, uh, prison systems. He was in the system from a very early age. What Tom O'Neill found out through documentation, I'll explain that a little bit later on, but what he found out through documentation is that Somebody that he couldn't quite connect, but you can if you're using, if you're thinking properly. Uh, somebody that was attached to Charles Manson was also attached through documentation with the MK Ultra experiments. So, so the, the, the story is that through this, um, or at least the way Tom O'Neill describes it or suggests, if you will, is that while he is in these federal prisons, the prisons that he's in, these federal prisons, are the prisons that are being experimented on with MK Ultra. That may not mean much to you, but MK Ultra, and there's documentation going back and forth between two central figures in the Manson story that says they have perfected the art of mind control with LSD. Okay, so just keep that in your mind because this is this gets a little complicated. So you got to stick with me. Two prominent figures, and I'm going to name them here in just a second. Within the Manson story, have ties to MK Ultra, and then a guy with no education who was raised in prisons gets released in 1967. I'm talking about Charles Manson, and within two years he has been able to cultivate a hippie group of young men and young women, and these aren't a bunch of dummies that he picked off the street. One of the killers um, uh, was a woman by the name of Leslie Van Houten. She was a uh, homecoming queen, football stars. These were upper middle class kids that uh, he got his hands on during the hippie uh, peace and love man uh, era of the 60s. He was able to get these guys off the streets and into a commune out in the desert. Spawn Ranch is what it was called. It was an old movie set that they used uh, for communal living. And he was able to brainwash these people and have them basically as brainwashed followers. And you think to yourself, well, wait a minute. This is a guy with no formal education. Um, He himself calls himself stupid. But somehow this guy is able to brainwash very together kids that have, um, uh, have a background of success. 
both academically, uh, athletically. Uh, they come from good families. And he's able to get them to, like robots, go to two homes and two consecutive nights and butcher seven human beings and write pig on the walls and victim's blood, political piggy, helter-skelter, war, rise, all of these different uh, symbols. And Vincent Bugliosi, the prosecutor, said those were symbols that was supposed to make white people think that black people had done it and that was going to start the race war. That was the, uh, the theme. But nonetheless, this is the effect that Charles Manson had with no formal education. And then, you did, then this, Tom O'Neill does some background on it, and what he, goes, what he finds out is when Manson gets out of jail in 1967, he's on parole, strict parole. He'd been in jail, like I said, 16 out of the first 32 years of his life for grand theft auto, crossing state lines with a stolen vehicle, uh, cashing bad checks, these types of crimes. Um, in 1967, when he gets out, he breaks uh, parole right away and should be right back in prison. But this Tom O'Neill is able to find documentation that although he is breaking the law and being arrested, his parole officer, a guy by the last name of Smith, keeps covering for him and keeping Manson out of prison. This happens over and over and over again, too many times for it to be eh, a mistake. Tom O'Neill interviews some people for the book and they say there's no way this is a mistake. Somebody didn't want him in prison for whatever reason. Now, the suggestion as to why they would want Manson out there brainwashing people to commit these crimes is because if you remember what's going on in 1969, we've got the Vietnam War going on and there is a large movement toward communal living. People do not want to work for the man, which meant the system. And they were looking to move rural Sex, drugs, freedom, free love, this whole thing, this whole movement was starting to happen, and the intelligence agencies wanted to stop it. This is his theorizing of what went down here. I'm, I'm not making that connection, maybe, but he says that, they believe, that he believes it's very possible that Charles Manson was an operative of the CIA. I'm going to stop it right there and then finish this up just a bit before we get into the second hour. The reason I play that for you is because a lot of people my age know the Manson story and they can relate to it. And that story was so powerful back in the day, it really changed the world. From that point forward, hippies used to be flowers, love, peace. This was the thing that was going on around the hippie movement. After Manson, hippies were perceived as drug addicts and dangerous. So Tom O'Neill, who wrote this book, Chaos, uh, the story of the 60s and the CIA and Manson, he believes that one of the reasons Charles Manson was activated was to commit these crimes, use the press to blow them up, tell everybody, everybody about it, scare them, and stop the hippie movement and get us back into the system. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but there are two things you should pay attention to in the media. If you want to get more on... MK Ultra and what it's all about, you should watch the Netflix series Wormwood. And then you should watch the original Manchurian Candidate because there's a lot of innuendo in the Manchurian Candidate that holds true to today. There's a scene in the movie where the assassin uh, who's about to kill a political person, his mother is the one behind it, and she said, I can't believe they turned my son into assassin. She wanted the assassination to take place, but she was upset whoever they was made her son do it, 
and then they engage in this very weird kiss. And that's what I want to talk about in, se- in the second hour. Not just MK Ultra and the story behind MK Ultra, but also the pedophilia and the Satanism that has been covered up, and there has been no real conversation about it ever. So I want to bring that to your attention as well. Stick around, second hour, we'll be right back. The Rob Carter Show. The Rob Carter Show. Yeah. Can you feel it? Before I get into a little bit deeper and more disturbing topic, Satanism and child pedophilia and the child trafficking rings around the world, I'm going to continue the conversation about MK Ultra because I believe many of you out there may have been affected by MK Ultra technology. Just a hunch. And I want to remind you of what I said about these vaccines slash gene therapies on March 16th. 2021, just a couple months after Trump left office. Now, at this time, they were just talking about getting the vaccines out to everybody. And I thought that was crazy. And I recognized it was crazy by how hard all of our trusted institutions were pushing them. From the educational system, the Vatican, The NAIAD, the FDA, the CDC, all of our trusted entertainers, athletes, and both political parties. Two political parties that disagree on everything all of a sudden agreed that we should have mass vaccination for a mutating cold virus. And if you disagreed... You didn't care about the health of our country. Episode 30 was called The Hustle. And again, I want you to remember the date because when I had my conversation with Kevin Slayton, he said, well, you can be a Monday morning quarterback now, but nobody was talking about it then. Well, I was talking about it then. I've been talking about it since June of 2020, but this particular episode on my podcast, therobshowpodcast.com. Two Bs if you want to hear it, therobshowpodcast.com. That's our website. If you just want to hear it on any of the places where you hear podcasts, just search out on your search engine, The Rob Show, always with two Bs. I want to play this episode, about uh, eight, nine minutes of it. I may break it up, uh, but I want you to hear it. This is The Hustle, the episode, The Hustle. Episode number 30 on my podcast, March 16th, 2021. And that's how the government takes over the colleges and the educational system is through grant money. And they want an answer with that grant money. They don't want you getting uh, out of line and getting to the truth. Because if there's a problem, 
the government can send you lots of money. So they make sure that that problem exists, whether it does or doesn't. And that's how they get their hands and their tentacles into the American educational system. And they indoctrinate kids from kindergarten on, as George Carlin was talking about. And if you don't believe they're infiltrated, I want to read you a quick article um, on justice.gov. And the title is Harvard University and two Chinese nationals charged in three separate Chinese-related cases. And it reads, The Department of Justice announced today that the chair of Harvard's University Chemistry and Chemical Biology Department and two Chinese nationals have been charged in connection with aiding the People's Republic of China. Dr. Charles Lieber, 60, chair of the Department of Chemistry and Chemical Biology at Harvard University, was arrested this morning and charged by criminal complaint with one count of making a materially false, fictitious, and fraudulent statement. Lieber will appear this afternoon before Magistrate Judge Marion B. Bowler in federal court in Boston, Massachusetts. Yijing Yi, age 29, a Chinese national, was charged in an indictment today with one count each of visa fraud, making false statements, acting as an agent of a foreign government and conspiracy. Yi is currently in China. Zezong Zhang, 30, a Chinese national, was arrested on December 10, 2019 at Boston's Logan International Airport and charged by criminal complaint with attempting to smuggle 21 vials of biological research to China. On January 21, 2020, Zhang was indicted on one count of smuggling goods from the United States and one count of making false, fictitious, and fraudulent statements. He has been detained since December 30, 2019. So there's your educational system being co-opted by a central source, the federal government. And now let's look over at the Pope, and I just want to read you some headlines. So the Pope in the Vatican, um, he is very pro-vaccine, and here's what he had to say. Vatican City, it says, the Vatican on Monday declared that it is morally acceptable for Roman Catholics to receive COVID-19 vaccines based on research that use cells derived from aborted fetuses. Guidance that came after some churchmen in the United States argued that such products were immoral. Apparently, the Catholic Church under this particular pope does not think that that is immoral. So Pope Francis according to CNN, is in line to take the COVID-19 vaccine. So you've got major religious leaders. You've got the educational system involved in vaccines and vaccine grants. Believe me, Harvard, Yale, Johns Hopkins, all of them are pushing vaccines very, very hard. We told you about Event 21 that Johns Hopkins hosted right before COVID-19 took off and became uh, the most Important thing on the top of everybody's mind for the last year. Right before that, Johns Hopkins was hosting China and people from all over the world to study uh, vaccines and uh, viruses. And then oddly enough, boom, here it came right after that Event 21 meeting at Johns Hopkins University. So it's all starting to come together now. I'm going to play some clips for you just to show you how how this this hustle works, because when you've got a hustle going on, what you want to do um, in this particular instance is you take both political parties. They disagree about everything. There's nothing they agree on. Everything is a fight tooth and nail. Well, until you get to vaccines. Hmm. And again, Donald Trump was on top of every con until we got to covid-19. And then all of a sudden he fell right in line with 
masks, lockdowns, and I'm sure he talked about it uh, against them a couple times, but nonetheless, he didn't do anything to stop it. Masks, lockdowns, and ultimately the vaccines, which they've been wanting for a long, long time. I told you about lockdown in 2010, put out our lockstep in 2010, put out by the Rockefeller Foundation, where it outlines exactly how you take over. Basically, you take over the world through a control mechanism around viruses, how you can shut everybody down, how you can isolate everybody, how you can change the economy. As they call in Davos, it's the Great Reset. And they're resetting our economy. They're resetting the entire world around one government, and yours is in that government. But let's look at some of these political leaders. You've got Nancy Pelosi, who's a vaccine expert, apparently. Chucky Schumer, crying Chuck. He's a vaccine expert. Melania Trump down here in Tampa, right on the campaign trail. I was watching her and couldn't believe it, but she uh, apparently is a vaccine expert. Donald Trump at CPAC, and then a statement that he just put out, he is a vaccine expert. And then we'll finish it off with Joe Biden, the 46th president of the United States. But let's just start here with Nancy Pelosi. Take a listen to how hard she's pushing this vaccine and then the money around vaccines, because we've got to remember, they can pass a lot of bills to help you from this deadly COVID virus as they launder money all around. But they got to get that vaccine in your arm for some reason. I can't figure it out. I'm not worried about this at all. I wouldn't get this vaccine unless they held me down and jammed it into my arm. But every leader on both parties, in both parties, and that includes McConnell, Mike Pence, all of them rushed out to show you that they were getting that vaccine put in their arm. It's safe. Don't worry about it. It's all going to be just fine. Here's Nancy Pelosi. Clip one. Ready? Go. It's my hope that with the vaccine now, with the vaccine, that will give a different perspective across the threshold to say there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So that the president and the administration and the Republicans can say, yes, we should follow science in a shorter period of time than. Uh, now, remember, uh, this episode already, if we test, trace, treat, was released on March 16th, social distance, and 2021, recognizing almost two and a half uh, years ago, hit that this is taking on to communities of color. If we so if you didn't recognize the hustle, the con of COVID-19, we'll be ready. A few of us did uh, to have a a big effect right from the start and in light of the vaccine, as we have in the Heroes Act. And perhaps we should do more now because the vaccine is here. It's imminent that we should be having the resources to make sure that the vaccine is distributed immediately, equitably so that everyone has access to it. In that regard, though, for that to happen, the president must, must, must implement the Defense Production Act. They want those vaccines. She wants those vaccines. They get a lot of money from them vaccines. Obviously, there's something going on here, but she's pushing those vaccines pretty, pretty hard. She had that mask on, so it's kind of hard to understand her. But Nancy Pelosi, the leader of the House of Representatives, the Speaker of the House, a political leader, somebody you can trust. She says, go out and get your vaccines. Go get them. Hustle it up. And then there's Chuck Schumer. He got his vaccine. He got it right away. He wants to make sure that you get your vaccine. He is a senator from New York. And here is Chuck Schumer talking about vaccines. Here we go. Clip two. Chuck Schumer, ready, go. Now we have a serious issue. And this is about vaccines. And there's an expression. Vaccines don't cure illness. Shots in the arm cure illness. 
got one there. Yep. Vaccines don't cure a disease. Shots in the arm cure a disease. Everybody got that? Vaccines don't cure the disease. Shots in the arm cure disease. That's the great crying Chuck Schumer. And he's been pushing vaccines from day one, as has Nancy Pelosi. But the one that surprised me, and the next clip I'm going to play for you, um, this was Melania Trump. She opened up for um, Donald Trump in Tampa on the campaign trail. And apparently she is a big proponent of vaccines because she studied the science very, very closely, apparently. Uh, Maybe has some information that you and I don't have, but I'd like to have it. Um, But this is what she had to say, opening up for Donald Trump about vaccines and your um, and whether you should get them or not. This is Melania Trump. Clip one. Ready? Go. In early 2020, our nation began feeling the effects of a global pandemic. A virus that invaded our nation and no one really understood. Now, because of our amazing medical capabilities and resources, we are in the process of developing powerful therapeutics and vaccines. A vaccine is not a partisan issue. If you are not supporting the safe production of a vaccine, you're not supporting the health and safety of the American people. Still pushing those vaccines? Of course, we all want safe and productive vaccines, whatever that means. But um, nonetheless, caught my eye when she said that because I was hoping somebody would say, hey, um, Do your research on these vaccines because I'm the president, I'm not a scientist, and I'm not 100% sure what's going on with these vaccines, but I know that everybody on both sides of the aisle and all these major corporations, um, the FDA, the CDC, um, everybody involved that I have outlined as being a little on the shady side is pushing vaccines and have been trying to push vaccines for a long, long time. And when Donald Trump and Melania came out pushing vaccines, made me a little bit nervous. Here's what he just put out in a press statement on March the 10th. Here's what the former president, Donald Trump, had to say in his statement. Statement by Donald J. Trump, 45th president of the United States of America. I hope everyone remembers when they're getting the COVID-19, often referred to as the China virus vaccine, that if I wasn't president, you wouldn't be getting that beautiful shot for five years at best and probably wouldn't be getting it at all. I hope everyone remembers. That's enough of that. You get the idea, right? The entire show, episode 30, called The Hustle, was done in March of 2021. And what I was trying to explain before the vaccines were available to everyone is how can everybody in our trusted institutions, which is the establishment, if you understand how our system works, how can they all be saying to go out and get your vaccines while at the same time, Everybody that was against these vaccines, everybody said, hang on a minute, pay attention here, read some of these studies, do your research, get an epidemiologist to talk to you, maybe a virologist, maybe listen to Judy Mikovits, but make sure you understand what you're doing because the vast majority of you do not need these vaccines and you have no idea what it's going to do to affect you. And again, I think MK Ultra, as crazy as that sounds, if you're just getting to the show for the first time, I believe MK Ultra may have played a part in the conditioning of the mind to get everybody just to ignore all of the logic and all of the science that was readily available to them and roll up their sleeves and get a vaccine put in their arm for mutating cold virus. Crazy, don't you think? Stick around. 
we got segments five and six. We'll be right back. The Rob Carter Show. SR1 Sundays. Feeling down and dirty, feeling kind of mean. All right, everybody, welcome back. We have two segments left. As we take a walk down memory lane. In this particular show, no information from the corporate bubble. We have talked about John F. Kennedy, his assassination, and his speech to the press club. That was the speech that started my show. Then we talked about the Bushes. Their ties to the CIA. Their ties to Nazi Germany. Their ties to... Barry Satoro and Lolo Satoro. Then we talked about COVID and MK Ultra. My show, The Hustle, episode 30, I think outlines how easy it was to diagnose that COVID was a con job from the very beginning. I'm not saying people didn't die from some mysterious virus. Who knows? But the setup, when every institution that you trust is pushing you in one direction, Pay attention, because generally, it's a hustle. And I want to get into, we have two segments left. I want to talk about the child pedophilia stories that have been going on behind the scenes that very few people know about. Now that Sound of Freedom is out there, and it's doing very well in the box office, I haven't seen it yet. I've been traveling and been busy, so I'm going to see it uh, before I do my next podcast. Uh, But awareness is out there now of the problem with child trafficking and it makes you wonder why our borders are wide open doesn't it doesn't it just make you why they just can't get control of that border i want you to think about that as we talk about the child pedophilia rings i'm going to tell the paul benassi story here in just a minute Uh, many of you have heard it on the podcast but i want to want to touch on it once again because it ties to the elections the elections which appear to be manipulated not just by mail-in voting but also by the electronic voting machines That story goes back decades, all the way back to 2020 and before. And we just keep rolling along without anything ever changing. So I want to bring this to your attention. This was episode number 70. We published it on 425 of 23, so April 25th of this year. We published this particular podcast. And it talks about Paul Benassi and the Franklin cover-up, which was a ring of child pedophiles that were in Project Monarch. Now, Project Monarch is described as a military operation that used the torture, the sexual torture of children to split off their mind into multiple personalities, and that allowed these children to be used as assets by our military. Now, listen, I can't prove that that's true. I'm just saying this is what's going on out there in the universe of information And if you study it to its end, boy, it sure makes sense that it may be true. Now, Paul Benassi won a court case. He won a million-dollar settlement saying that he was used as a child prostitute in a military operation. And when that went before a judge, 
he won the case. Isn't that interesting? That was in Nebraska. Now, Nebraska is the center point of a couple of stories here because Chuck Hagel, who is the Secretary of Defense under Obama, beat a guy that was the, the, the one who told the story about Paul Benassi, a guy by the name of John DeCamp. John DeCamp was a state senator from Nebraska. He heard the story of Paul Benassi being used as a child pedophile, researched it, thought it was crazy at the beginning. He tells the story of meeting Paul Benassi. But Paul Benassi, because of Project Monarch, once he was rewired, he was able to spit out all kinds of names and information that those who were close to him said were impossible if he wasn't telling you the truth. So this is how I want to play it. I'm going to give you this uh, clip here. This is uh, episode number 70 from 425-23, and then we'll talk about it uh, afterwards. Go. I want to get into the elite pedophile rings, but I want to remind you of one thing before we do. Uh, Because if I could ask the questions to these politicians, I think we would have a very interesting back and forth. Let me give you just some of the totals of the vote count for president since 2000. You ready? Uh, G.W. Bush, dummy Bush. He had 50.4 million votes in the year 2000 and won the election. In 2004, now we got the war going on, so there's more interest, right? We have a war going on. Bush got 62 million votes. In 2008, we have the first black president. He's got the soaring rhetoric. Everybody loves him. Every time he speaks, people are running to their television sets to see, what does Barack Hussein Obama have to say? One of the most popular Democrats I've ever seen, and I wasn't around for the Kennedys, but as far as I'm concerned, I've never seen a Democrat more popular than Barack Obama. In 2008, he received 69.5 million votes. In 2012, Obama received 65.9 million votes. Donald Trump, in the year 2016, received 62.9 million votes. And then in the year 2020, with the cleanest election ever ran, nothing to see here, just ask Bill Barr, he'll tell you. Joseph Adolph Magoo Biden received 81.3 million votes, which begs the question, if we do not have free, fair, and verifiable elections, who cares who's running for president? The only thing you can glean from it is information. But if we had a media, if we had a media that was doing its job, they would demand that the election system be cleaned up, that it was these big counties couldn't control an entire state, and that the community, you and I, Normal people, not attached to a political party. They go, you know what? You know it's fair because they had one Democrat counting the votes and they had one Republican counting the votes. And if I'm right and it's a one-party system, who gives a fuck who's counting the votes? If it's a Democrat and Republican, they're on the same team because it's professional wrestling. Who gives a who's counting the votes? It needs to be normal, everyday American people. There should be a holiday around it. We should get our elections back in order. We should figure out who got the most votes because if we understood that our election system was real and verifiable, then we can't complain. But you can complain when you know that the people that are running the show for you, the people that are making these laws, writing the bills and printing the money, are there fraudulently. Now we have a problem, don't we, Houston? We have a problem. Let me get on to these child pedophile stories. Now, last week I left you uh, with a story about the Franklin cover-up. Very quickly, because I pretty much ended that story. 
uh, the, 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 the real information came out because of a guy named Paul Benassi. Uh, this happened in Omaha, Nebraska. 80 kids were interviewed for this particular situation. Uh, it was thrown out criminally, but then Paul Benassi, who was the center person, testified in civil court and won a million-dollar judgment. Because the way this program works, this child pedophile ring, it's not just that they're prostituting these kids out. They are, but there's more to it. So some of the kids were just being prostituted because some of the rich and powerful happen to like kids. They're pedophiles. Some of them were being prostituted to other pedophiles because they wanted to compromise them. And then some of them were being prostituted to the rich and powerful because of Project Monarch. Project Monarch was a military operation that was run to teach kids that had been through this program how to remember things. They didn't need a recorder. They didn't didn't need a pen and paper. They could remember and be deprogrammed and tell our military or whoever was controlling them everything that they saw and heard, just like they were watching it right then and there. They could tell you every word that was said, everything that was done, and it was under a program by our military called Project Monarch. I want to hear. Uh, I want you to hear Ted Gunderson. Now, this guy, he was the head of the FBI in Los Angeles. He retired, I believe, in '79. I think he said, and the rest of his life, the entire rest of his life, he dedicated to proving that all of these stories were true. And he would go to hotel conference rooms and people would come in. He always said that he was dead broke and he would try to sell whatever he could just to stay afloat because he was traveling around, getting testimony, acting like an investigator and putting the pieces together. Here is him addressing an audience talking about the Paul Benassi Franklin cover-up case. You tell me whether you think he's credible. Ted Gunderson, clip number eight, four. Frankie, ready? Go. Very frightening case. Because I established, with the help of people like John DeCamp, former state senator, Nebraska, that we have in this country today a covert military criminal enterprise, government enterprise, primarily by U.S. military intelligence, that is operating full throttle and everybody refuses to investigate it. In the Nebraska case, it's called the Franklin cover-up. This is the book here that I, that John DeCamp wrote, by the way. It's all documented in there. And in that particular instance, they were taking children out of foster homes, orphanages, um, Boys Town, driving them from Omaha, Nebraska to Sioux City, Iowa, 184 miles away, placing them in private jets, and flying them to Washington, D.C. for sex orgies with prominent people, including congressmen, senators, and certain people in the White House. Is that not incredible? Now, if that is true, that means that we have a mafia run by pedophiles that are in the White House of this country. If you don't believe it, great, but I'm just saying the guy that ran the FBI in Los Angeles dedicated his career to telling that story. Isn't that worth something? May, may he know something more than you and I? Because I know it sounds crazy, but if it's true, where are we going as a country? Because 
Epstein was right behind this operation, so you understand. So it's not just him. There's more people involved. Now, I'm going to play this clip. I wasn't going to, but I want to bring this up because uh, I'll tie this together for you here in just a minute. This is John DeCamp. You heard Ted Gunderson mention him. John DeCamp, if you don't remember two weeks ago when we did the podcast, he was the senator that really kind of broke the story about Paul Benassi. He's the one that wrote the book, The Franklin Cover-Up, that Ted Gunderson was just talking about. He figured out that Paul Benassi, this whole Project Monarch thing with the almost like a uh, photographic memory, that it was real. Here he is talking to an interviewer, and he says, it's obvious that Paul Benassi was telling the truth. Just get a piece of this, and then I'll move it forward. Uh, clip number six, eight. Frankie, ready? Go. There was no question Benassi was telling the truth on this, whether it was polygraph tests that were taken, whether it was other proof he was the only one that, other than the family, that knew certain birthmarks and other things on the boy, of course, from what he and the other boy, anyway. But yeah, that was just one more thing in the book that I wrote about that, that came out of this Franklin thing as I kept digging in and pulling strings. Now, these boys ended up supposedly on a, a ranch in Colorado. That's correct. Uh, Colonel Michael Aquino's ranch. Now, if you remember from last week's show, Michael Aquino was the Satanist. He went on Oprah. He went on the Geraldo Rivera show. He was accused of sexually assaulting 50 minors. That is unbelievable to me. I still, every time even I listen to that uh, story, it blows my mind. The Franklin cover-up, if you haven't read the book, you got to check it out. If you're into these kind of things and you expand your imagination into what could possibly be. These things really are disturbing, but they also need to be addressed. I would ask you out there listening, are these things that uh, I know that you care about them, and I know that they uh, they pull at your heartstrings when you start to think that kids may be used, uh, compromised sexual torture, compromising politicians, compromising people in power. But do you really want to hear about it? When you really think about it, um, I just wonder how many people can digest it because it's so horrific. Uh, to th- those of us who have children think this is so disturbing and horrific. Do we really want to address it? Because it's been this, this information's been out there for a long time, and very few people in power ever bring it up, ever want to talk about it, ever want to resolve the situation, whether it's true or not true. Because you have another woman by the name of Kathy O'Brien who wrote a book, Transformation of America, and she tells a very similar story. And she lays out many people on both sides of the aisle who were involved in this Project Monarch situation uh, that raped her, beat her, uh, used her, passed her around. She was involved as an adult, she says, in running drug operations for the CIA. She implicates Bill Clinton, uh, Arlen Specter, who was a senator from Pennsylvania, uh, Boxcar Willie, who was uh, was a singer that got his start. On the Gong Show, uh, she talks about Chris Christofferson, Lee Greenwood, who now does the uh, opening song, the very patriotic song that he sings for. But this is, she's saying these names that have come to prominence, Dick Cheney, the Bushes. She's making these accusations 30 years ago, 35 years ago. And she names all of these people that come to prominence after that. And it just seems very odd that the people that she outlines as being involved in MKUltra and Project Monarch and child sexual abuse, all of those people that she outlined, their careers continued and their children's careers have mushroomed. Very interesting, I think. 
and something we should explore as a country. Stick around. Final segment of the evening coming up. We'll be right back. The Ron Carter Show. Sundays. The Rob Carter Show. All right, everybody, welcome back. Final segment of the evening. Hope you had a great weekend. In the last segment, the name Michael Aquino was mentioned. Michael Aquino used to go on talk shows back in the late 80s and early 90s as a member of the NSA and say, yeah, I'm a Satanist. He had the pointy eyebrows, very bizarre looking character. But he said, I have the right to worship any religion I want here in America. And I've listened to long interviews with this guy, Michael Aquino, a brilliant guy. And he would talk about how you could alter reality by conditioning the mind. Propaganda, if you will. Maybe it's MK Ultra. Who knows? But he would talk about it very in depth. Hard to follow. You have to take notes and it's almost like a class of how you do it. But Michael Aquino was a very powerful character in our NSA, worshiping Satan. And again, mentioned by Paul Benassi, who was the center person in the Franklin cover-up book, and Kathy O'Brien, who wrote the book, Transformation of America. Transformation of America. She says that MK Ultra and Project Monarch are real. And she's able to recite names and dates that if she's making it up out of whole cloth, it's amazing because she's been able to stick to that story for 30 years. It's incredible. I want to get back to this child pedophile story and the elections because I believe the elections are being manipulated. I don't really think that um, it matters who the Democrat nominee or the Republican nominee is because I think that the The establishment picks the president, not you. That's what I believe. And I think the fact we have electronic voting machines and mass mail-in balloting and you have people crossing the border by the millions and then you have no voter ID in our elections in some of the states, as Ken Paxton down in Texas tried to describe, says that he told Donald Trump, and Donald Trump looked at him like a deer in the headlights, just doesn't make any sense to me that in a free country like this, We can put a man on the moon, but we can't have a legitimate election system. It's crazy. And this Sydney Powell, I I can't read the whole thing. It's just too long, and I hate reading that much script. But she talks about Dominion voting systems all over the world and the problems with these Dominion voting machines and how they were set up to steal and rig elections. That was the last tweet. It was a big, long sheet, just like an attorney, very in-depth, lays the entire case out. And then she was kicked off of Twitter. And I never understood why she wasn't in the inner circle of the Donald Trump administration. She certainly seemed to be fighting for him very hard. 
but he went with Rudy Giuliani and the hair dye rolling down his face and Jenna Ellis, who told us we were crazy when we asked her to talk to Judy Mikovits and what was going on with Dr. Fauci. We didn't trust him. What's the scoop there? And she said, I don't know what you're talking about. Dr. Fauci basically is the greatest guy in the world. This was on Twitter. She just shut us down like we were insane just for even asking the questions. Hey, do you know the background of this clown? You know what he's all about? Should we be taking the word from him? Should Donald Trump be putting him out front and center with Dr. Dr. Deborah Burks and the scarf and the wooden boy, Mike Pence? Of course not. But now that we have all of this history in the rearview mirror, it makes sense. But there were very few people that were talking about it at the time. But our elections, I'm sorry, Kevin, what would you like to say? I'm not interested in what's important in elections. Uh, Kevin Slayton doesn't care what goes on in elections. I do care what goes on in elections. So I want to play this clip because I want to tie the child pedophile stories to the electronic voting systems. Just pay attention to this, and I'll add some color afterwards. Go. Who was a state senator when this all went down. Became very popular for writing the book, people that followed the case, like John DeCamp. So he starts to run for Senate in the year 2006. Now, this is the D.C. Senate. He's going to be a senator. He's going to run. And he is up in the polls. 68% he was polling at. Okay? He ends up losing to a guy by the name of Chuck Hagel. Now, if you don't know who Chuck Hagel is, Chuck Hagel was a Republican. Chuck Hagel, Hagel was appointed by Barack Obama, one of the most partisan presidents in history, to be the Secretary of Defense. So when that happened, I remember thinking to myself, and as he went through all of his um, uh, confirmation hearings, Chuck Hagel is about as close to an idiot as you can possibly be. And my aunt gets mad at me when I say that. He's not a very sharp person. It was very obvious when he was being uh, going through the confirmation hearings. And yet he became the Secretary of Defense under Barack Obama, a Republican Secretary of Defense under Barack Obama. So you start digging into him. I look up Chuck Hagel when I heard that story. He went to the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown. So right away, you know he is a club member. He was also um, in the Council of Foreign Relations. So you know now that Chuck Hagel is a part of the club. But check this out. When you look through his bio, it says he also served as chairman and was CEO of American Information Systems, AIS, later known as Election Systems and Software, a computerized voting machine manufacturer jointly owned by McCarthy Group, LLC, and the Omaha World Herald Company. That electronic voting machine company made its way through several different owners and into the lap of Dominion, who just settled with Fox News for $787 million because Fox News analysts had the audacity to question the election in 2020. Now let's get over to... Am I the only one who thinks the connection... With Chuck Hagel out of Nebraska, John DeCamp, who was a state senator who ran against Chuck Hagel for a federal senatorship, I don't know what it's called, but to to be the senator in D.C., those two ran against each other. John DeCamp is tied to the pedophile story, and Chuck Hagel, a Republican, is nominated for a very powerful position by a partisan Democrat, Barack Obama. Now, if you don't think there's a club going on, if you think ideology matters to these people, it doesn't. This is about the establishment. This is about, uh, just like Newt Gingrich says, and I played it too many times to count, it is the secret societies 
He mentions Princeton, Harvard, and Yale. But it is that group of people that wants to keep control of America. It certainly appears to be true because when you see all of these people bounce around in administrations, Democrat or Republican, the bureaucrats, I'll say, it doesn't matter if a Democrat goes into a Republican administration or a Republican goes into a Democrat administration. When you look at these people, they're always tied to the club schools and to the club programs like Club of Rome and the Bilderberg Group and Davos, the Trilateral Commission. All of these people are tied together behind the scenes, and that's why I want to finish today's show talking about not just the club, but how the club and this pedophile stories start to overlap. Kathy Bryant O'Brien, who I was getting to um, in the child pedophile stories, because she says, this is her story real fast, and I'll kind of lay out some of the people she says were in uh, were in the CIA and in this Project Monarch and in this uh, covert operation to sexually torture kids and then use them as assets within our government. Now, again, I have no proof of it. All I can tell you is you got to absorb the information, and once you absorb it all, uh, start to ask questions and see where it takes you. For me, it makes a lot of sense because she makes reference to a lot of names 30 years ago that came to prominence. And her story is 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 crazy. I was listening to it. Uh, we, I do book on tape, and I was driving the other day, and I was listening to it once again because I've uh, listened to her book twice, now two and a half times. She claims that this is the way it worked with Project Monarch and the child pedophile story. Her father was a pedophile. A poor guy. He was not attached to any military operation. He was nobody of prominence, but he was a pedophile. And he was sending pedophile images through the mail. He gets busted by our FBI or whatever uh, police force. And in a deal to keep himself out of prison, he allows his daughter, Kathy O'Brien, to be taken from him and used in Project Monarch as an asset. And then she works her way through the child pedophile rings all the way up into a presidential model is the way she describes herself. She's a very beautiful woman. And she was passed around, and she names all of these people, uh, like Senator Robert Byrd. She said Senator Robert Byrd was her key handler. He basically owned her once she became an adult. And who is Robert Byrd? He allocated money in the government in the 90s. He was a major player who Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton, they both said Robert Byrd was their mentor. Robert Byrd was in the KKK. Robert Byrd was uh, a very sinister person, if you pay attention to him, and had enormous power within our government, and she names him as her key handler. She talks about Arlen Specter. Now, Arlen Specter, the reason he's interesting is because Arlen Specter is the one that came up with the magic bullet theory in the John F. Kennedy assassination. That was Arlen Specter. She names him as being involved in this program. Uh, She names Dick Cheney. Now, Dick Cheney's interesting because when she names him, that's before he is the vice president of the United States under G.W. Bush. And then Dick Cheney, who's associated with Halliburton, has an enormous role to play in the Iraq War. And then Liz Cheney, his daughter, ends up on the January 6th commission trying to frame everybody who went to January 6th, an unarmed insurrection, led by our hero Donald Trump, 
that becomes a made-for-TV operation. I believe the person who produced it was a movie producer. So when you watch the January 6th commission, or whatever they were called, on television, the entire production was produced by a movie theater guy, somebody who produces movies, not uh, just put the cameras on and let's hear it. It was, a, it was an operation, it seemed. It seemed like a movie. She implicates the Bushes. She implicates Ronald Reagan. And the reason I find this so interesting is because it was a nonpartisan takedown of our government. And she says that it's been going on, uh, or she's, she makes the, uh, she's able to tell the same story 30 years later. As I was telling my dad yesterday, I said either she has been um, brainwashed to believe it, somebody has planted this within her noggin, or it actually is true because there's no way that the amount of information that she can spit off the top of her head after 30 years, it can't be a lie. She has to believe it. She has to think that it's real in order to talk about it. And again, um, it, it, it's the underlying premise of my show is that we are being led by a group of people, whether it be Democrat or Republican, the high ups, the, the, the power out of D.C., the power out of the World Economic Forum and the United Nations, these people are attached together in some form of a club. And I think the only way to expose it is to simply ask the questions. Everything else you see should lead to, well, are you a part of some secret society? Because boom, 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 and start talking about all of the information that's out there and watch these people respond to it. It can't be that difficult to ask a very simple question of our leaders are you involved in a club that the American people don't understand? Tim Russert did it when John Kerry, who I just cannot stand, was running for president in 2004 against G.W. Bush. Tim Russert from Meet the Press, he's the only one that I could find, said, now wait a minute, 322, Skull and Bones, Secret Society at Yale, what's going on there? And I, again, when you ask tough questions, you see the response. And G.W. Bush and John Kerry did not handle the conversation, did not handle the question very easily. They both looked very awkward. They both looked taken aback. And then John, uh, Russert dies of a heart attack a few years later before the next election. These are questions that we must begin to ask. It's serious because of the direction of the country. Everybody's now starting to see the direction of the country is getting very mysterious. AI, artificial intelligence, digital currencies, digital passports. You can envision in the not-too-distant future a situation where we really don't have control of our destiny. And that's very scary when your country is based around freedom. Let me remind you one more time before the end of the show, because I just got to play it. This is Newt Gingrich talking about said club. The, the national establishment, the people who went to Harvard and Yale and Princeton, uh, the folks who belong to Skull and Bones, all of those people are united in a determination to, to retain power over the American people. That's all I got for you, everybody. Join me next week, 6 to 8 o'clock every Sunday evening for The Rob Carter Show. And stick around for my good friend, Nick Schroer, in the 8 o'clock hour. Good night, everybody. The Rob Carter Show.
The, the national establishment, the people who went to Harvard and Yale and Princeton, uh, the folks who belong to Skull and Bones, all of those people are united in a determination to, to retain power over the American people.